what's most important is how we feel in our household for the day. That the, the experience of homeschooling rather than the quantity. And that is also a value in my business. It's, it's more important how we feel day in, day out. And by that, I don't mean like I expect to be happy at all times and everything's easy. I mean, the day-to-day of how we live is a metric that is more valuable than the quantity of work that I do or output. Welcome to Messy and Magnificent the place driven women come to elevate their career, health, and relationships. In here, we increase your productivity by replacing always being busy with the space to breathe. Hear your own wisdom and be part of a sisterhood that has your back. My name is Carly Fain, and together we're going to make sure that you have a doable plan and the roots to rise. Well, welcome back to Messy and Magnificent. It is your gal, Carly. And today, I'm not just going to tell you a story to get us started. I'm going to tell you specifically the middle of the story. So you might have heard from other when other people talk about our work here that once upon a time, my business model was such that I would be contracted by one high-profile entrepreneur, career-driven person at a time. And I would travel with them as their live-in coach. I'm on the plane, their jet with them. I'm in every green room. I'm on the side of every stalled-out stadium stage, making sure that now that they've reached peak performance, that they can actually sustain it. But it wasn't sustainable for me. See, I was living into this model, this way of being that I was watching all of these highfalutin people doing and yet feeling incredibly inauthentic at the same time. Because even though my career and my life looked great on paper, there was this deep nagging feeling of never having enough. There was this insatiable quality to my day where I noticed no matter how much I was getting done, I was never impressed. I always had more I wanted to get to, more money I wanted in the bank, more time I wanted with my family, more time I wish I could have had to sleep. And so when I knew it was time, to leave that business model and create something different, I had no idea where to begin. And that is where our special guest here today comes to us from. See, Karen Witzig-Razel was teaching some marketing for one of the largest wellness schools in the nation. And I had the pleasure of taking some courses with her remotely when I was on this highfalutin travel schedule. And her work resonated so deeply. She had this way of making marketing so simple and direct in a time in my life where everything felt complicated. And so I kind of cyber-stalked her a little bit. I searched around, figured out where her website was, and reached out. And here's why. I was watching Karen work for some of the biggest names in the wellness and coaching community. These are some household names that you definitely know. And yet she didn't have this traditional marketing and coaching energy about her. And I have to kind of laugh about this because I still get this on a regular basis. People, once they meet me or my colleagues, they go, you know, I didn't expect to like you because you're a coach. (laughs) And I think there's a lot of very pushy energy out there in the coaching world. And frankly, there's a lot of pushy energy out there in most career trajectories, right? This idea that we need to be hustling for our worth. And that's one way of doing it, but it's not the only way. So I had the pleasure of hiring Karen and working with her as her client for a few years 
And it really made all the difference in my business. And these days it continues to do so because it's the level of focus and clarity that I learned about with Karen that has allowed my business to scale without me scaling my stress (laughs) at the same time. So it makes complete sense as you're about to hear some of the origin stories for Karen about how she took her business that she started back in 1999 with a shingle and a prayer. And 20 years later, she's become a marketing and mindset teacher at top coaching schools. She's the author of two business books, a marketing coach and the creator of the happy little practice methods for moms who want to build their own business. But she's doing it in a way that allows her to have what she calls being lifestyle rich, meaning she shows other women how a small practice, when done right, creates big enough results. In fact, she even gave us a link to her free class online called Why Little is the New Big. I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes. Definitely tune in. But what you're about to hear from Karen is really interesting because she talks so authentically about what this real type of transition looks like. If you find yourself in a space of feeling like there's never enough or no matter how much you do, there's still more to get done. And yet you want to be doing well. You want to be prospering. You might really like what she shares specifically today around how this moment during COVID has really messed with her own game, how now she suddenly has to be homeschooling her two children because their school is closed. And this is not something that she saw coming or that's something she planned for. But because she's gotten so good at honing the flames of her focus onto what really matters and keeping things simple. Her business is actually able to do really well, even when she can't run it perfectly. (laughs) She joked and she said, look, maybe I'm the laziest marketer there is. And I know that that's not true. There's nothing lazy for us driven folks about learning how to sit with doing things simply. (laughs) That's where the real work comes in for us. So in a moment, you're going to hear a few of those simple things for Karen and how she continues to discover just how little she actually needs to do so that she can prosper in what she calls being lifestyle rich, which as it turns out is not something you need to save money up to have. This is something you can have right here, right now. Karen, thank you so much for being here on Messy and Magnificent today. Thank you for having me. This is like an easy yes for me to just show up and hang out. For me, it's a total geek out, nerd out, getting way too excited to be able to share your thoughts, your experience with our audience, because I have gleaned so much insight from you and do every time we talk. So this is a big deal. I had a question for you. There was something I realized that I don't know about you that I'm curious about, because I know your roots are in marketing. And once upon a time in New York City, and you got, you know, a big institution off the ground and made it kind of a global nutrition center. Now you live in a really beautiful rural location doing the happy little practice method. What I didn't know is what's the story that got you from doing the such big work to in a a more city environment to transitioning and running your practice successfully, but in a totally different way? Well, that's a fun question. One, it's a very hunky guy. (laughs) (laughs) That helps. (laughs) That helps. Um, But I always wanted, this was before people were doing coaching over the phone. When I started my coaching practice in 1999, 
I knew like my father lives in Switzerland, like my whole, like half of my family is in Europe. And I knew that I would need some sort of career that will allow me to go. And I knew that generally, unless you work for an amazing company, you have at best two weeks vacation. And that would suck up my entire vacation for the year. And it felt like that's not doable. So I knew when I started my coaching practice, I needed something to be virtual and to be like, I love the countryside. I was always a horse girl growing up. And I knew that I had this vision. I would be able to go to Switzerland and I wanted to live anywhere. And my dream was to live in the country, make New York City money with the internet, even though like no one really was doing that 20 years ago. It was like, you know, a weird thing. And so when I met my husband, when we started dating, he was living up in the rural countryside of way upstate New York. I was what I thought in upstate New York, you know, in Westchester County. (laughs) When we got together, I'm like, I'm in, let's go. Let's live the country life, you know, as long as I have high speed internet. And wanting to have my feet on the ground in nature. Like, I love that. I love that I can walk outside and just on our property and just pick herbs. I mean, it sounds very dorky, and but I love that. To me, it is not dorky. And you're taking me in a direction that I was thinking we would get to later. But since we're there, I want to dive in because one of the many things that you've taught me in our work together when you were my coach was around this idea of being able to sync my work to the natural rhythms, the natural rhythms of nature or the natural rhythms of my body. And I think I always saw those as two separate things and that I needed to control my body. I needed to get it on board with whatever my professional agenda was. And you were really with me when I was transitioning from working with being on the road with all these high profile types working on call on their schedule to trying to figure out okay, what's my version of working? How might I work from home and have more freedom or have more flexibility? And so I'm so curious for you where that connection is now and how you make that connection between picking herbs in and around your house and your work and how those things are connected. Above all, when I started building my practice, thinking that I had to really build this like I had this one vision of success. I knew the, what I just shared, but, but the, what was modeled to me was kind of build an empire and become a CEO. And I was never quite really that interested in that. I was more interested in defining success by bottom line. How do I want to spend my day? Like every day, feeling like the things that make me feel rich, there's money, of course, right? That we all need. And we get to define how much is enough for each of us. But one of the things that make me feel really rich is having slow mornings or sitting by, you know, under my red maple. I have this relationship with my red maple tree. <laughs> Just, you know, like <laughs> I, how, like, I want to be able to take a break after lunch. And I know you talk a lot about this and just have this very same, like, lifestyle that I call it lifestyle rich without being actually rich. <laughs> <laughs> Because it doesn't really require, I used to think that would require a million dollar business to have the, what what makes me feel really wealthy. A lot of those things that make me feel really wealthy are, yes, I like to buy nice things and things like that, but it's how I spend my day. And so my husband and I have, we are very different and have different styles of doing things, but we come together around bottom line. Is it worth changing how we live our days? you know, where we're present and we're not rushing and our time is our own. And yes, we do have to do hard things sometimes, you know, that we don't like to do, but that's the nature of the beast. But 
that's how like fundamentally like it's grounded in like how do I want to use my time and be in charge of that that phrase that you just used lifestyle rich that struck a chord <laughs> in me deeply I think about how when I look at my values there's this one interesting value that crops up almost every year when I when I kind of realign with what I care about and it's luxury and there's this part of my brain that kicks in and is like what's that about? Are you being a snob that you want luxury? Like, what is that? Like, what, where's that coming from? Is that some cultural belief? Is that yours? But every year it crops up. Like I feel it. And, but when I sit to me with what's luxurious, it's like once upon a time, you know, pre COVID, it's like having the time to be in a bookstore and getting a bunch of books out on the shelf and sitting on the floor with the books and paging through them. That to me is luxury. It's the space to do that. It's the opportunity to be, I love books. So being around a bunch of books, I may, and I'm like a, terrible bookstore person because I might not even buy a book that day. Like I might just visit with the books and leave. But like that, that's my lifestyle rich moment. Is there enough time in my day that I could go to a bookstore on a regular basis, right? Or sit and sit with that. Well, this brings me to a lot of curiosity then around what you call the happy little practice method. And when you talk about, I see you say things all the time, Karen, around like small is the new big you know, or little is the new big. What do you mean when you say that? Where is that, where is that coming from? Well, it came from first a personal experience that I was speaking to a few moments ago. The vision of success as a professional coach was one, it's go big or go home. You know, you build an empire, you have coaches working for you, you, you start having more and more people at your events, you know, you pull yourself further and further away from your clients. And I admire that, but I, like I mentioned before, I was never that interested. I never managed people. Like I, like I would have, like, I, I reserve the right to change my mind later, but <laughs> I never <laughs> wanted to kind of be managing people or have a team. Maybe it's like, I'm the laziest marketer. I don't know. But so I came from that and kind of just chasing that always like having my biggest month. And this is before kids where I would be like, it was that never enough feeling never went away, that always striving, always striving. And even my clients who were being successful, they also had this kind of chronic stress underneath it. And I'm like, what are we doing this for? We all got into coaching because we wanted a better life. We wanted to do meaningful work. And above all, like quality of life was really number one, right? Most of us have like, we, we got out of something that was kind of soul crushing or hurting us really physically. Right. Kind of reinvent that again in our own practice. So it started with like, wait a minute. I call it my bathtub moment where I was like, <laughs> I get with Alex, our first child. This was 10 years ago. And um, it was six o'clock. And my husband's like, are you coming out? Like, I'm like, don't you know I'm changing lives for a living? Like, <laughs> oh, I got to work. And then I got in a bath. And then I had this like, I call it my come to Jesus moment with myself. <laughs> All right, what am I, what am I chasing here? Another hundred thousand. Like what, what, how would my life change? Like, what do I really want my life to be so different that I need to have more money? And I'm like, well, I could have the lake house, you know, like I started like kind of, it would be nice, but they weren't right now. And then all of a sudden I had this epiphany. I'm like, I'm already there. I'm already winning the game of life, you know, where I'm the only person that's I'm racing against is myself. I have a, a happy marriage. Like I like, you know, um, babies come in. I live where I want. No, is it a mansion? No, but like at the core, this is what I have and what I want. And all of a sudden, 
it was like permission to unhook from what I thought I should have in my practice to like, just, it sounds very coachy, but like to just to find it for myself. And that's when I started, like, there must be a better way where I didn't have to have events. I didn't have to like constantly be launching something. I wanted peace. Like peace is like one of the ways that I feel very profitable. Like I want money. Mm. Yeah. 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 Little doesn't mean like little money. You know, um, so that became the foundation of like, I need to make decisions from this place and I can go into what happy little practice means, but that's where it came from. That resonates with me so deeply. There was this nagging thing I would get when I was on the road working with some of my clients who were, you know, like the ones who are in the limelight a lot. It was the sense of hunger. It was this insatiable hunger. Like we were doing more. So now we're touring bigger. So the entourage is larger, but we're working longer hours. Like, and we're not ever satiated. And there was something that I couldn't put a finger on when I was doing that work. I just kept thinking wasteful. Something felt wasteful and I couldn't put a finger on, well, what am I wasting? And it was, I would think about it literally sometimes, Karen, because like on a tour bus, we'd be throwing out so many plastic water bottles every day directly into the trash. Like nothing's getting recycled on tour because you're stopping at a truck stop and all these, you know, I think, well, is that the waste that's driving me crazy? Like, yeah, I don't like that we're doing that, but that's not what it is. And I don't think I realized that I was, I was wasting presence. Like there wasn't for me a sense of presence in the moment. It's always on to the next thing and doing the next thing. And as you talk about being in the bathtub on purpose, like being there and realizing this is where I would want to be, that makes a lot of sense to me. And so I'm curious, as you coach other women who are making similar transitions, they're all running different companies or different during different types of careers. What does that segue even look like? So you have the bathtub aha moment, your come to Jesus moment, but then practically, how does that shift begin to happen? Well, one is that they usually come now arriving like, when I say the words happy little practice, it's intriguing. And then there's people who are like, that's so cute. You know, like... I'm like, I don't know, isn't it cute that I like support my family and make a great income and like 25 hours a week, or now I was telling you before, more like 10 (laughs) and homeschooling. But it first starts with understanding that happy is about, like that is a valid strategy in business. And I don't mean like unicorn and rainbows happy (laughs) at all times. I mean, like what really is satisfying for you? and your work life and orienting your business around the life you want to live versus it becoming your life. Oh yeah. So that's first. And then what is for us in happy little practice, it's taking the boutique business model and running with it. Meaning we don't go for a high volume of clients. We go for a small volume of clients, serve them supremely well, but we charge a premium price point for that. And then the, the living of this, the practice of it is what I call the one thing approach where how we differentiate ourselves in a market that is in one hand, it's wonderful. Like you can find coaching at any price point and how do we cut through the noise? We zig where other people zag and we just decide to get wicked good at one thing all the way through our practice, like one message, one audience that we're going to like go for and really serve and one signature offer. We do one kind of marketing that puts us out that we put out into the world and we do one kind of keep in touch marketing 
and we do one 30 day or 90 day goal at a time and one hour of marketing a day. Like it's just, it's simple. I knew that I could never like outwork or make more money than all my colleagues. I can't win that game, but I can win the game of, well, I can do one thing and get, just get really wicked good at it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and, I, and I mean, I'm, as I get to witness you do that and walk that talk. And that's something that you've helped me do. And there's a phrase that I know comes directly out of our work together. I know I picked it up from you and I might be paraphrasing your message, but it's something around, it's not survival of the fittest in our modern economy. It's really survival of the focused, right? And it's not about who has the most resources, who's got the biggest audience, the most connections, the most time, the most education. It's, it's honing the flames of our attention onto, to your point, your one thing, right? What is the one thing that matters now? Or what is the one thing that if I focused on it, who said that Gary Keller would, would make everything else like easier or unnecessary, right? All, all together. How do we I won't even say we, that's general. Like, how do you fan the flames of your focus, especially now during a time of COVID where you're suddenly homeschooling your kids, which is not something that you saw coming on deck and running your business at the same time? Like pragmatically, how does a person or how do you hone the, the flames of your attention right now when, it's, when there's so many places where it would be easy to give attention away accidentally? So it's more about, for me, finding the simplest way forward because simplicity to me means I can do it. It's doable and I can be consistent at it. Anything complicated when all of my life requires me to be on, like I don't have the kind of kids that can just like play quietly for hours. They demand attention. <laughs> They're very spirited. And I wonder where they get from. And my business is not a business that can just like phone in. You know what I mean? And just right. show up half-heartedly. My marriage requires love and care and tending. You know, my body needs, uh, like, you know, I have to pay attention to what I eat. I can't just eat Big Macs, apparently. <laughs> so all of it require, it's, it was a way for me to survive and then eventually thrive by just radically simplifying things. So I, when I start to get overwhelmed or think that my passion is starting to fizzle, I know that I'm trying to do too much or, I'm, or I need help or I just need to simplify. And so during COVID, it's been, um, I'm going to really take good care of my clients as, and go above and beyond as much as I can. I'm not going to try to do brand new marketing. I'm going to really just hold steady. And yet I have been forced to change my marketing too, because I got hacked in July, uh, like oh, a very serious meltdown on Facebook that right. made me really kind of come to terms with what many people are coming to terms with, with they've seen this social dilemma. Of, and, and many of my clients are like, I really don't want to be on social media that much. They thought they had to. And so modeling another way forward, all of it is stemmed from simplicity. And I can be consistent and show up if I keep it really, really simple. And I've also like done really at the beginning, I needed something of the pandemic. I needed something that was like just creative and didn't like, wasn't going to make or break my business or like, you know, where at the beginning, everything felt so like, I don't know what's happening. And right. All my clients going to add up, get up and leave. Like everybody, we had no idea what to think. And I started writing a book, like just early mornings that had like, not the book that I should write. It was just... <laughs> 
book that I know at the very least my clients will love it, even if no one ever else buys it. Do you know what I mean? And it was like yeah. a saving grace, a little creative project that felt like nothing was writing on it. And I felt like a human being instead of like a human doing, you know. Yeah. Well, this comes back to what you mentioned earlier about like happiness is a legitimate professional strategy. And if this creative project, first thing in the morning, it's giving you some oomph, it's giving you some life, even if it's not either the, the path you had planned or directly connected to some big revenue plan, that it is related to the stability of you and your business. If it's bringing you joy, right? If it's giving you an opportunity to, to play a little bit. So you want more free time, some space to think. You know everything would be so much easier if you just had a little more wiggle room in your days. By golly, I hear ya. So let's talk about my favorite B word for a second, boundaries. 14 years of coaching has shown me that there is a direct correlation for women between how much time and energy you have to get to the things you really care about and the types of boundaries you're setting. But nobody has taught us to set boundaries in a way that feels good. And that's why this episode is brought to you by the Boundary Academy. This is my forthcoming at-home study course that's going to give you both the tools and the community support to make having boundaries both doable and downright enjoyable. I'll make sure to let you know when it's available. So get on the list by heading over to carlyfane.com and get totally free access to the mini Boundaries Like a Boss course. There is nothing for sale in this 45-minute program that outlines the three essential mindsets that women with boundaries know. And it comes with a step-by-step guidebook that will allow you to have the script to upgrade your boundaries on the spot, even when people push back on them. You know that hunch you've had for a long time that you're meant to do something meaningful in the world? It's right. Let's make sure that you get to do just that. I'm so curious, as you've worked with so many people, what's another example of, of something that was complicated and how you simplify it? If we, if we are noticing, okay, there's something like to take, maybe we can even go deeper into the social media thing. Cause I'm watching that as a reoccurring theme. We as a company are getting off of Facebook by the end of this year entirely, which has felt really good until this morning. Actually, this morning I woke up before my eyes opened out of wherever in the back of my consciousness came this thought of, no, 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 no. You're launching the Boundary Academy next year. This is crazy to get off Facebook right before you launch something. What are you thinking? After months of planning for this and feeling really good about it, there was this deep-seated fear of, why did you do that right now? And I know that my truth is, it's the right thing for us. We've still got to go. But as we look at something as complex, for example, as social media, what does simplifying it look like for you? How are you doing that? Still feel have some days where, you know, I still have holding places on my social media accounts, mostly because I do need to check them for personal, like my mom life and local events, things like that. And I do have those moments. I'm like, I am completely nuts. I have built a decade of, you know, whatever followers, this and that, you know, and yet I had that felt set experience of dealing with Facebook and how I could lose everything in a blink of an eye. It goes back to, we do one thing in our marketing and 
when I actually sat down and looked at the numbers, I'm like, where are my clients coming from? The only time clients come from Facebook, every now and then you have somebody that comes from there, you know, but consistently it was because I was paying Facebook and, you know, uh, and I had an ad campaign going, right? right. Through my signature presentation. And I never 100% let go of my actual live speaking to organizations or talk locations, things like that. And so when I realized that if I'm not advertising there and my clients are telling me that they don't like to be there, it was kind of like, well, if I'm not paying there. I don't really need to fuss. And it felt bad because it's more and more divisive and all that and so I take what's worked and just kind of make it more robust off of Facebook, which is, okay, since that happened, I'm going to just really go back to giving that presentation live instead of, you know, on demand for Facebook. And it's great. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Like, we've been doing business without social media for a long time. That's such an important thing to remember, right? That like speaking and having a signature presentation that you can talk on a podcast like this, you know, very informally or, or very start to finish in an hour talk that never goes out of style. And I know that, and I know that if I can just get eyes on my presentation and like, I'm going to be okay. And so then I'm willing to go try things offline. Like I placed my first local ad and it's not to just like, Hey, come check out my website. It's like, Hey, come check out this training trying things and being willing to kind of reinvent what works, but do it in a different format. That to me sounds so much more expansive. Like if we're not obsessed with, it needs to come in this package, how much more room we get for possibility there. If we're more attached, I was watching, I think it was Sonia Renee Taylor yesterday. I was watching her talk about, um, this idea that we get so attached to the form of something rather than the function of it. This idea that it needs to look this certain way or else we're not doing it right, as opposed to what is the function I'm trying to serve. So to your point, you know, the function of connecting with new people, getting in front of new eyeballs, doesn't necessarily have to come in the package of Facebook. It could come in the package of giving your signature talk in a new way. And so being willing to be flexible around the package while staying true to the, to the intention there. The idea that, um, what was I going to say? I love that we lost your train of thought because your kiddo walked through the back of the room. This is what it's like. <laughs> I'm so glad that that happened in this moment, right? Cause it's like, this is what it's like to be running a business from home right now. And I love that. I was sharing with Karen right before our conversation here that there are some roofers on the top of my building. I just moved into um, an old factory that was converted into lofts. And this is the first time I haven't had like a solo house in the middle of nowhere in a long time. And it didn't occur to me that I can't plan for things that happen. So like the roofers walking around on the ceiling outside of my control, like that's a whole organized thing with the, with the building complex. I'm making phone calls. Nobody knows how to you know, contact them directly. Like there's nothing I could do. There's things outside of my control right now. And just when you talk about that, or I see your kiddo walk through, you know, the, our conversation here, it just reminds me of what a great moment this is for grace. <laughs> like we're just extending a little grace our way for the things outside of our control and then honing in on the one thing that we might have some influence over. There is comfort in knowing that everybody, you know, or we, we've seen all the videos of like somebody doing a CNN interview and then like the kid <laughs> in or backs out of the room, you know, like <laughs> I 
had one moment where I was like, I had a bunch of new clients who all just happened to start at the same time. And my kid walks in the room and I'm like, hold on, please. And I, I meant to push mute on my phone. And what did I do? I put a speaker and I'm like, you turn around, you get out right now. Go ask your father, but, my, but go ask your father. I'm like, my father, like, Drew was a baby, but he had to come in. And I, and I turned around and I'm like, oh, well, now that you all know I'm a wildly imperfect parent and no one laughed. I was like, oh, uh, I'm laughing over here. I'm finding to me, there's such a sense of a shared commonality in that, of being human, of all the ways, even though I logically know better, all the ways I still find that I try to fragment myself. I try to fragment this is work life. That's not work life. Like, this is who I am when I'm in front of a camera on my days when I'm off. I can dress like this, like, but I need to look like, you know, pulled together when other people can see me. Like, all the ways that I still fragment or try my, you know, perfectionism still crops up. And when you say just the phrase wildly imperfect, and the same sentences you explain that you have a whole bunch of new clients. That to me is such a cause for celebration that we can be wildly imperfect and still have a bunch of brand new clients. Like the business is still doing well and we're not doing it perfectly and it's still working. If you need a model of like really simple things, like I'm not going to wow you with like my fancy materials of how I share my information with you. I'm going to wow you with your relationship with me. Right. And, you know, as long as you're not going to be offended by sometimes I do imperfect things. Like if it interrupts me or maybe I drop an F-bomb on accident and I didn't mean to, <laughs> you know, like allows me to attract clients who are pretty cool to work with. But the thing that we were talking about before, when you go away from, when you start to make decisions that are aligned with what makes like authentically happy in terms of your money, how you do your business and all that, it feels a little bit like you're becoming a minimalist, mm. whether or not in a world that says more is better and be more and do more. And I love the book, Essentialism. I give that to all my clients. That is about how do we make our greatest contribution? And his entire methodology is about less is more. Do less, but do it better. And I'm like, once I read that, I'm like, I'm in. This is what I can do. <laughs> I'm like, this is happy little practice all over it. Now there's some science. <laughs> Yeah, well, right, because what's doable gets done, especially right now, right? Especially for those of us who are in different situations or different predicaments that like what's doable is what actually gets done. I'm so glad that you brought that up about the minimalist thing, because that thought goes through my head, too, of Carly, you becoming a minimalist. Like I never struck out for that. And yet I find that because one of my values is space. Like I just do better with space, space to think, space to rest, space to play, space to work, like, like that having less clutter where that's other, you know, literal stuff. I've Marie kondo you know, the bejesus out of all my spaces um, and it works for me, but, but, but also more metaphorically, just having space in my calendar or space within my practice, not being packed to the gills that that's, um, that's life-giving. Like there's room there for life and for synchronicity to happen that, where I didn't have room for that before because I was so scheduled. I was hoarding work. Like I was just stuffing more and more into my calendar thinking that I needed to be better at time management. Like, you know, you don't have to be great at time management when you don't have so many things you're trying to manage. Like I don't have to be as great at it when I'm not stuffing 20 things into my day. Then there's room for that. So 
I wonder for anyone listening who might be thinking that's radical, like this idea of, of simplifying and it's still working out. Let's just go down that rabbit hole for a moment. What else about your practice might surprise people? What else might you do, whether it's behind the scenes or with your clients, that maybe wasn't something you learned when you were studying marketing or when you were, you know, studying from these mentors that you've had that have been successful and doing coaching in another way? Well, I mean, some rules of thumb of marketing are you need to do about three marketing strategies and I do one. And I guess you could count the second one being keep in touch, which is I write my newsletter post Facebook meltdown now and I've bumped it up to weekly. I say weekly, but a minimum of, you know, twice a month. If I hit it twice a month, I'm going to be okay. Weekly is even better. If I do it three times a month, great. You know, like I have these flexible things, like if I market most days. So if I miss a day, I'm going to be like, I'm not like, is it still the majority of the days? which technically could be three out of five days if we're really going to be technical, if you're working a five-day week, then I'm winning. (laughs) That's what I tell myself. And it keeps me from cycling like, oh, I didn't market that past two days, so I guess I'm not cut out for this. I'm not going to do this. And this and starts thing that comes from like the diet mentality that we all probably were raised on. (laughs) And that's all in or all out. One of the most toughest things that is really retraining my clients to kind of just be more in the middle. Like I started as a health coach and it was about helping people like get away from extreme eating and just be more in the middle and it works out. And same thing, instead of extreme marketing where we're trying to juggle six, three strategies, we're just like, let's get really good at one, like one presentation that you work on nailing or, you know, it doesn't have to be speaking if that's not your thing. To me, that just brings me a lot of peace of mind. I'm like, that's okay. I don't need to do all the things or be everywhere because my business isn't designed to try to go for mass appeal or a mass amount of clients. There's something so powerful about that invitation to get out of the binary thinking, all in or all out, you know, work hard, play hard, black, white, my way or the highway, like all that phrasing that I think has been integrated into us culturally. And I know... I look at who's noisy in terms of coaching when I'm online. And I, I notice that it's a very specific part of the population that's, that's noisy. Like I'm noticing it's a lot of young white men that are making a lot of noise about this is how to market your coaching practice. And I think about when you're in your 20s and you've got a lot of testosterone, how one method <laughs> to be the loudest and to do the most and to have these complicated funnel systems might really work. Um, or Jerry Seinfeld had that documentary, what is it? Jerry before Seinfeld or something like that on Netflix. And he talked about, you know, in his early 20s, he barely slept and he lived off hot dogs because they were like, you know, 25 cents a hot dog. And he could do that because he had nobody else depending on him. Like, you know, that was doable. And when you talk about the way you run your business now, as it relates to the rest of your life, I see how you're modeling it in such a way that you're doing what actually works for you as opposed to what might work for somebody else or what they're at least presenting works for themselves. The other thing that comes to mind about what may be surprising is how much stock I give to treating myself like a professional athlete, even though I'm not an athlete or a really, or like a, an actor or performer who needs to use their body to deliver. I think so much of 
like you just shared, when I started in my 20s, like there was no one else to take care of me. I could stay up till four and sleep in till 10, right? When all, like many of my clients are moms, even though I have some single women, like you were. Me, yeah. <laughs> they have to be on. They can't deplete themselves for their off time. So how they show up for even their two or four hours they might have during the day to do their work needs to be regenerative, I think that's the word I'm looking for, regenerative, if I can say it right. There it is. (laughs) Um, So that way when you're done, you actually, so how you work, like I give so much, like how I eat, what potions I take, (laughs) elixirs and vitamins (laughs) and all that, you know, or uh, I do a lot of energy clearing type of practices. I do them. And sometimes I will get the comment from somebody who they're like, you're so good at all that stuff. I'm like, no, I'm not. I have to do this stuff in order for me to show up. Oh my gosh. Yes. You just hit the nail on the, on the head for me. I get a lot of that of like, oh, good for you that you figured out how to eat well or that you're committed to that. It's almost, it reminds you of like the Southern, like, oh, bless your heart thing. Like, oh, bless her heart. She tries to exercise on most days. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't think you realize. Like, I don't have the kind of body that lets me get away with crap. I don't. If I did, I probably would. If I could eat whatever I wanted and never exercise and and get two hours of sleep, I bet I would be doing that. But it turns out that I have the kind of body that holds me accountable to tending to it. Um, And on the flip side of that, when I tend to it, it gives me information that helps me with my work. Like it, it, it helps me cut through like the, the cobwebs of all the logic in my brain that'll try to circumvent my knowing. It'll, it'll tell me things about the decisions that I'm making that are helpful. But it's so great to hear you say that too of like, yeah, this doesn't necessarily come natural to me. This isn't my default. This is something I'm doing because I care about my career. I always, always thought that I was never somebody who was naturally successful, like where I would just try something and be like, yeah, I'm, look me go. I'd be like, oh, that didn't work and that didn't work and that didn't work. And I have to eat this way and I have to like, can't be drinking during the week. Like, I, you know, I wish I could. I just, I'm like, I had that kind of body that you described. And, but if to really see yourself and I talk to my clients about this, like think of yourself as a high performing athlete, like your body is mm-hmm. that important. It's great if you can get away with it and without doing that, but I can't. And especially so in my forties. Right. We're watching this shift. And also more and more and more, I just keep thinking, and why do I want to be separate from my body anyway? Like, I think that to me is some type of program I've adopted that really didn't originate within me. Some idea of why would I want to be functioning in the world separate from my body? Like, why is it that I want to want to distance myself from the information my body's getting me, giving me? Like, what is that about? You know, and there's, I mean, I can unpack that with a therapist for months about all the reasons, you know, I would want to separate from my body. But I think there's something really interesting about that of when I slow down, actually my body gives me such, you know, I'm being repetitive, but such great information. The fact that I would ignore it is to lose an entire resource. And you are so great at reminding us to tap into all the resources available to us. Like, why wouldn't we use every resource that we've got in front of us and our body being one of them? I never thought about treating myself like a professional athlete because I definitely don't see myself as an athlete in that regard but I care about my career and I would, you know, I would, I spend money on coaches. I spend money on a bookkeeper. I spend money on somebody who can help me build my website. You know, why wouldn't I be investing in my body if that's just as valuable as a resource as all those other support systems are? 
I have trouble, like, it's not the easiest things for me to exercise. Like I'm not quite literally an athlete. Right. And I wouldn't identify, but I like in order to perform and be who I need to be for my clients, I need to take care of myself. And I need that space. Also, I always think like if I have enough space and time to think and feel through things, I will find the answer to whatever it is. It's when I don't have the space and time, I start to freak out because I'm, I think that's dangerous for my business. Like I don't have time to process and feel and think and just commune with myself, earth, God, whatever. One of the women who's on our Council of Boundary Makers who's helping us create this Boundary Academy, Dana LeMay, and she was a guest here on the podcast. I'll put a link to her show. She said something last week to me, Karen. She said, you know, I realize all the drama in my life comes from my false sense of urgency. She's like the moments where I convince myself that I have to urgently respond when the building's not burning down and nobody's bleeding. Like when there's really not a life and death situation, when I respond without daring to pause, that's where we create more busy work for ourselves or more emotional work for ourselves. It just, what you're saying echoes that so powerfully to me of, especially for those of us who are driven by nature, maybe the work, the real work is the learning how to pause and building in that space to hold the question, like to hold the question. I don't have an answer yet. This is the question I'm holding right now. I feel like one of the things that people don't realize about making your practice, your business successful, and you want to live on your own terms, like the lifestyle rich (laughs) (laughs) is that you're, I talked to my clients about this. We are completely reinventing how we work and what's okay. Like breaking up with the models that our fathers and grandfathers said, this is how you work. It's already a big deal when you leave the nine to five and like you have to manage your own hours. That's a leap. But then a lot of times clients, those who've had a career outside of coaching and are leveraging that into a new coaching business have to go through this process of like letting go of who they were and how they worked before, which was this urgency and had to empty the inbox every day. And I'm like, listen, you're never done in this business. Like, right, (laughs) right. Like at the end of the day, you're like, I got done with that thing. But then the next idea comes, you know, and so you have to be able to kind of say, how much is enough? Which is probably why everybody should sign up for your boundary account. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, so this brings up something that you said earlier that I would be remiss not to bring up this question that you are holding for yourself right now around how little is enough. Like how little is enough right now? What is the the least I could do? And it would still be enough for my business during this moment where now I'm homeschooling and we're all, we're all at home together. And I'm curious for you, as you hold that question, what do you notice around how little is enough? What bubbles up? How much there is this kind of tyranny of like thinking of my thoughts that lead me to feeling anxious or in a rush is all made up. Uh, like what you you your your friend who was on your podcast Um, (laughs) I was just sharing before that if I don't have the four or five hours or if I don't have like space in my schedule I start to freak because I know that I won't have access to what I need to kind of hear the answers to my next step and now I don't have the kind of time that I used to have where I work for I would just work school hours and now they're like that's not there. And so right. I've been working in 90 minute sprints or, you know, these little pockets of time. And when your focus 
going back to what you said, it's not about the, like the, the one who does most wins. It's about who is able to kind of manage themselves and be focused and know what's essential for you. Like I can't, if I only have 90 minutes, I can't just be like scrolling through social media myself after that 90 minutes. I'd be like, well, I wasted that. So knowing it's just blown my mind away. I'm like, my business is still here. And I'm like working 90 minutes here and 90 minutes there, maybe 10 hours a week or 15 hours a week. I'm like, how is this possible? And then I'm like, did I just make up all this other stuff of what I thought I needed? (laughs) It's really rewiring my brain. And I don't find it. I don't mean to say that that's easy because I still would prefer if I had large chunks of time to myself, but this is the life that I have. Right. And I can bear it. And torment myself about what it should be like or dance, if you will, with what is. And okay. And above all, like, you know, I read homeschooling materials now. And the the thing that grounds me in all that, and, you know, a lot of times I read these things and they're all by stay-at-home moms. I'm like, (laughs) you don't know. (laughs) And then, and my homeschooling crew is full of stay-at-home moms. So I'm like, okay. And then I realize what's most important is how we feel in our household for the day, that the, the experience of homeschooling rather than the quantity. And that is also a value in my business. It's, it's more important how we feel day in, day out. And by that, I don't mean like I expect to be happy at all times and everything's easy. I mean, the day-to-day of how we live is a metric that is more valuable than the quantity of work that I do or output. Karen, that is powerful. I'm so glad that that was recorded because that's, uh, that's the thing I want to message. I want to replay for myself again and again, the reminder of why am I doing this? What is this about? What are my metrics? What are our personal metrics by which we determine what success is for us? And specifically during this moment, in this particular moment of time. So I'm curious for you, I forgot to tell you that we do this at the end of every episode, but we do this two-way Q&A where I'll ask you a couple of questions and give you an opportunity to ask the audience a question. Would you be game to do that as we, as we wrap up? Okay. So here's my first question, Karen. If you came with a warning label, what might it say? Fierce, but funny. <laughs> I will vouch that that is so true. <laughs> that is so true. And I think part of it, your humor is disarming. I know you've been able to tell me some hard truths that I needed to hear and to do it with joy and in a way that I could receive it because you incorporate the funny into your radical fierceness, um, which I appreciate. I, so I wasn't like, I wish, like I, I hear other coaches and they just have a way that I'm like, why can't I be like that? Why can't I be like the angel that says the right thing and is perfectly poised at all times? And until I get a personality makeover, I love this. You know, I always tell my clients, share share how you coach. And there is a fierceness, but we will laugh. So true. So true. Based on our conversation today, if you could ask a woman listening a question, what would you want to know from somebody listening in today? I'd love to know what is their definition of true wealth? There certainly would be a financial piece to that, but also about how they want to use their time and how they want to feel. Oh, like yes. what, what would it feel like? And to make decisions based on that is really like 
makes it makes you feel really wealthy, whether even even if you're still not at the income goal that you want to be. Your own definition of personal wealth. I want to hear about that too. So we'll make sure that there's a link in here to how to connect with Karen and or to put a review, you know, on iTunes and tell us about what's landing. Cause I'm curious about that too. Keep that conversation going because there's something rich there, no pun intended, or maybe a pun was intended. <laughs> like there's something so rich there. So here's my last question for you today, Karen. What's one thing that even if other people disagree, you know to be true right now? What I know to be true for sure is there is this magic that happens when you pray and you move your feet. I'm borrowing that from Fabienne Fredrickson, who said that recently. And I love that because the pray part reminds me of all the inner resources that we have, whether that's your spiritual practice your fitness practice, the, like the, the inner cultivation of believing in yourself, showing up for your own becoming. And then the move your feet is like, yeah, you're going to have to send that email. You know, you might have to pick up the phone. You know, you might have to like put to make bond for your Zoom or not. You know what I mean? Like the very, we tend to focus on the very practical things or one or the other. And this combination of cultivating all these resources that are very often feminine resources that have been discounted. And you add that to like a little bit of moving your feet, you've got some magic. Oh my gosh. Thank you for that, Karen. And thank you so much for for being here in this conversation. What you just shared reminds me of so much of your message, which is the center. Like, where is it not one or the other? Where is it both? Where am I? Where can I pray? And where can I move my feet? Where can I care about what's big and meaningful to me in a small, focused, doable way. Where's the room for for all of me? Thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This has been really fun. You know, when Karen shared about how she loves spending time with her tree outside, it's got to be something about that that calls me to gravitate towards her. Karen has her feet on the earth, in this case, literally. And there is something about being around other people who have dared to be very thoughtful and intentional about their career decisions that I find incredibly satisfying. I think that hunger that I was feeling when I was on the road and doing so much all the time was a hunger to have my feet in the soil too, both literally, but also figuratively, meaning to be able to enjoy the present moment at the same time we're working towards progress. So I want to know from you, of everything that you just heard Karen share, what is one line, one phrase, or one concept that really stood out to you? Post that in your review on iTunes so that we can keep this conversation going. And remember, you thrive through nourishment, not punishment. Keep taking care of what you value and enjoying where small is plenty. And I'll see you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Messy and Magnificent podcast and being part of this dynamic, life-giving community of women. I consider each episode part of a lifelong conversation of you and me hanging out, sipping tea together, making sure that all women become richer, more nourished, and able to keep on rising. So I'll see you on the next episode next week. But in the meantime, don't forget to head over to carlyfane.com forward slash podcast to get the full show notes. And I've also got some extra special free resources for driven women over there that you won't find anywhere else.